It is Easter. He is risen. And I want to ask you if you would turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not going to preach for long. I told Gary this morning I was going to preach for 20 minutes. He almost fainted. He thought, yeah, we'll see. You're right. We'll see about that. I don't think I'm going to preach for very long today. But uh, welcome again. I always look out after the worship set and I always see a few people I haven't seen before. So welcome again. I am Pastor Brian, the senior pastor here at Burntwoods Church. I'm glad that you're here. I forgot to mention the encouragement cards uh, and the, the cards that are in your seat that you can fill out to let us know you were here. So if you want to fill one of those out, the encouragement cards, just write a note to somebody in the church family. You can put it out there on the table somewhere. Somebody will get it, hand it to me. Or if you're here visiting in your seats in front of you, somebody hold it up. Somebody who knows what they are. There you go. In your seats in front of you, there are those yellow slips in there. And that just helps us to get to know your name, get to know who you are. We won't pester you. We don't sell your information to telemarketers or anything like that. So uh, I'd love for you to fill that out. And you could just leave it. You can just leave it here. Or you can hand it to me on the way out or whatever. And that would be awesome if you can do that. First Corinthians chapter 15. Before we get started, I want to tell you one of my favorite resurrection stories. And um, I had to talk through this last night, late at night with my wife to make sure I had my facts straight. Because you know sometimes... With these type of stories, you don't really know. Are people telling the truth? Is this all facts? You know, you don't know what to think. And I just want you to know today, I know that some of you don't know me, but those of you who do know me, I think that I've built up over the past seven years some level of trust. And for those of you who don't know me, I'm just asking you to trust me this morning. This is true. This is a true story. You ready? It happened in West Virginia. That's all you have to know, right? Right there, when I was pastoring... When I was pastoring my first church in West Virginia, one night, I don't remember if it was a Wednesday or a Sunday night, we had church on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and, and one night, one of my good friends, one of my best friends and one of my deacons in my church, he showed up and, and I could tell that something was wrong. You know how you just look at somebody and you can tell something's going on, and he pulled me aside and and he said, man, he said, the most awful thing happened on the way to church. Now, don't bad things tend to happen to you when you're getting ready for or on your way to church? Isn't that just true? And he said, man, something awful happened on the way to church. You'll never believe it. And I said, what happened? And he said, well, we were rushing to get here. We were running late. I jumped in the car to leave. I hit the gas in reverse, and I felt boom, boom. And I knew what had happened immediately. He said, so I got out, and sure enough, I ran over Socks, our cat. He had two little kids in the car, little kids at the time. And Socks was their family pet. I mean, this, this was one of those cats that, that, they, that, that people actually loved. I know not everybody loves cats, but this is one of those cats. And, and so he said, I said, well, what did you do, man? What did the kids say? He said, I didn't tell them. So I couldn't bring it. So what did you do? He said, well, I... I picked up socks and I didn't have time to do anything. So I just threw them in the bushes and I'm going to bury them when I get home. So, well, that sounds like a plan. Well, to keep in mind, we're living up in, in the mountains in West Virginia and like real West Virginia here. And uh, he got home and, and he called me and he said, man, it just keeps getting worse. He said, I went to go get socks. We put the kids to bed. I went to get socks and was going to bury socks. And socks is gone, man. I said, well, are you sure socks was dead? He said, yeah, the socks was dead, man. I, ch- I ran him over, completely ran him over, like flattened him. He was dead. I ran him over. He's dead. I said, well, 
probably a coyote got him or something. You know, something just dragged him off and took him away. And said, yeah, guess that is what it is. And we went on with our life. And I'm telling you, I'm not lying here. This is a true story. On the third day, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is a true story. You believe me or not, you can ask my friend's gone on to be with the Lord now. You can ask him when you get to heaven. His name is Jason. This is a true story. On the third day, his wife, his poor wife, was in the kitchen washing dishes. And you know how you have those wonderful bay windows in your kitchen. And they had a deck out back. And she's washing dishes. And she caught movement in the corner of her eye. And as she sort of looked through the window out on the rail of the deck, there to her great shock and amazement was Socks the cat. None the worse for wear. Somehow or another, Socks the cat showed up. And so we always just like to think that somehow or another, Socks the cat was resurrected from the dead. Now, I don't know about that part of it. Honestly, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I, I don't think that's true. But it, it always was one of those stories we like to tell. And it's one of those stories we can tell because of the way it happened to say, this is a resurrection story. Socks was dead, but on the third day, Socks showed back up and shocked everybody. And that's a resurrection story. But I want you to know right now, in all seriousness, that's a resurrection story that does not matter. It absolutely does not matter. But the resurrection story that we're celebrating today, I want you to know it does matter. It matters in eternal ways. It matters in huge ways. It matters in practical ways for you and I in our life today. And so I just want to just for a few minutes walk with you through why Easter matters. And I'm going to do it really quick, I promise, because I know you're hungry. I'm hungry. I know some of you want a nap. I get all that. So just hang with me for a few more minutes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is really the resurrection chapter. If you've been here on Sunday mornings over the past few weeks, you know that we spent a Sunday in the first few verses of this chapter not too long ago. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. But here in 1 Corinthians 15, if I was going to summarize the whole chapter, it's just Paul dealing with the errors that had emerged in the church of Corinth concerning the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, but not just the resurrection of Jesus, also resurrection in general. In fact, what they were beginning to, to feel is that maybe there is no such thing at all as a resurrection. There's nothing at all to this whole thing. And so Paul begins to deal with this fact, and he starts with the gospel in verse 1 and works his way out from there. And that's what we'll do just quickly. I'm just going to give you a little survey here of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the first half of it. Look in verse 1 where Paul says, Now, I would remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are saved. The gospel is the only way for you and I to be saved from the wrath of God. And the gospel is this, just a a, a quick summary. The gospel is this, that God is holy, that God is completely perfect, that God will not tolerate sin in His justice, but man is sinful. We've fallen into sin. Every one of us are born with a sin nature, and so given the opportunity, every single one of us sins. And when we sin, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done it. Every person sitting in this room is a sinner. But God sent His Son Jesus to live for us in our place as our perfect substitute and then die 
for us as our perfect substitute. And he paid the full penalty for every sin that you could ever commit. And when you place your faith, when you respond in faith to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sins, and you follow him as Lord of your, Lord of your life, the Bible says that anyone, everyone, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. And that's the only way we're saved. So he says that I preach this gospel to you. You received it in which you stand and by which you are being saved. Verse 2, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And now Paul, as he begins to deal with this issue of resurrection, I want you to notice quickly, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want you to notice that the first way that he appeals to them about the reality of the resurrection is by appealing to them and showing them that it's a historical fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. He doesn't appeal to some mystical idea of spirit and resurrection and swooning and all the other theories that have been given over the years about what may have happened at the cross. He says this is a historical fact. Look at verse 5. How does he begin? He says he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. So he says, first of all, he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to all the twelve, and then he says in verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Now the interesting thing is that he says next that most of whom, or most of these people are still alive. I mean, what's he saying there? It's not hard to figure out. He's saying, listen, Jesus rose from the dead. We all knew he was crucified. We, we saw that. We witnessed that. But he rose from the dead. And you can go ask Peter. And you can go ask the other apostles. And if you're not satisfied with them, if you think they're on the inside and they, there's some conspiracy, then go ask one of the other 500 people that he appeared to. A lot of them are still running around. A lot of them are still kicking. Go ask them. Now, let me just tell you something. It, it, it would not be a good idea to make your argument and whether something is true by saying, go ask somebody who saw it if nobody saw it. So he says, go ask them. He appeared to 500 brothers at one time. Verse 7, then he appeared to James. That's Jesus' brother, his half-brother. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so he's making this appeal saying, hey, Jesus is alive. We can prove it. We've seen him. We've heard him. We've touched him. He's alive. And again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want you to know if you're in this room today, and I'm sure that there are some people in this room today who are absolutely and without a doubt listening to me right now and thinking, well, of course you say that. And of course you appeal to the Bible as your authority. But I'm not buying it. I'm smarter than that. I'm not buying all this resurrection nonsense. You can't prove it. Well, if you use your same line of reasoning, you can't prove George Washington lived. There's more evidence for the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus than there is for any other historical figure in the history of the world. Not only that, but, 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 but by using rules of reason and logic, you can deduce by the facts that are given that he must have risen from the dead. There's no other option. If we look at the facts, even the most liberal scholars, except for people who are on the way far outside fringe. And by the way, if you're going to say or, or disagree with these things, I want you to know that you're living on the fringe. 
Even liberal scholars who deny the, the, the truths of Christianity and the truth claims of Christianity would say that these things are true. Number one, Jesus of Nazareth lived. He was a historical figure. Even liberal scholars agree that that's true. Secondly, Jesus was crucified. Jesus of Nazareth died on a Roman cross just outside the walls of Jerusalem. That's a historical fact. Jesus was buried in a tomb that everybody knew about. Now, don't miss that. That's an important one. He wasn't carried away to some hidden place. He wasn't whisked away to some secret place that only his disciples knew about. He was carried away to a tomb where everybody would have known where he was going. And in fact, the Romans knew that he was there. And so they even sent guards to guard the tomb and make sure that these disciples or any wild followers or any zealots didn't show up and steal the body of Jesus. So they knew where Jesus was. Jesus lived. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Those are historical facts. And now, Jesus, after three days, After three days, the most revolutionary person to ever show up on the scene in the Roman world died, was crucified, placed in a grave that everybody knew about, was guarded by Roman soldiers, and after three days, he just simply, poof, disappeared. Is that what happened? Because if you deny the resurrection, you have to go there. You just have to say, well, he just must have disappeared. The only reasonable explanation, and it's not just based on those three things, but based on a slew of other things, including these people that he mentioned, the fact that Peter, who denied him just a few days earlier, then stood at Pentecost not long after that and boldly proclaimed the cross. That Paul, a guy who was going to destroy the church and made it his life mission to destroy the church after he met the resurrected Jesus, gave his life to Jesus. And all of these people that he mentioned, with the exception of these 500 people, all of them who were cowards, who ran away when Jesus was arrested, who abandoned Jesus at the cross, all of them turned around now after seeing Jesus and gave their lives for him, died for him. Some of them in the most horrible ways you can possibly imagine. People don't die for lies. Jesus is not, on the, or not in the grave. He's alive. And so he makes the appeal to the historical resurrection of Jesus. And then just skip down to verse 12, where he begins to go on to tell us why it matters. Because for some of you today, that may be the question. Well, okay, maybe he did. But why does it matter for me? Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised raised from the dead, excuse me. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So there's the issue that he's dealing with. These people are saying there's no such thing as the resurrection. He's saying, okay, well, if that's true, then Christ cannot be raised. And then he begins with these if-then statements. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And so now he's going to give us at least, and you can break these up into different numbers, but I'm just going to give them to you in, in five, five things. He gives us five reasons why the resurrection is important for us. He says, first of all, if Christ isn't raised, if there's no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. In fact, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then you guys should have picked something else to do with your morning. I should have picked something else to do with my life. Because if he's not raised from the dead, then all this preaching, all this teaching, all this talk about Jesus is in vain. And then he says next that your faith is in vain. Number two, 
If Jesus is not raised from the dead, not only is the preaching in vain, but those of you who placed your faith in Jesus have placed it there in vain. You should have found some other object of your faith. And then in verse 15, he says, And we are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. And so he says, if the resurrection is not true, then we are liars. And don't miss that. You know, there are some people today, and a lot of people today, in our own present cultural climate, who would say that, that religion may not be true, but it's not bad. I mean, you're not really hurting anybody. I mean, what's it hurt to believe in Jesus? What's it hurt to tell your neighbor about Jesus? I want you to know that what Paul is saying here is that it's not good to talk about Jesus, to preach about Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, to share about Jesus. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then you're lying. You're a liar. Don't miss that. He's not saying religion's good just because it's good. He's saying if it's not true, what we claim is true, if these things aren't true, then we're just liars and we're leading people astray. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, here it is, the big one, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ is not raised, then every one of us is hopelessly lost in our sin. Not only that, but if Christ is not raised, follow me for just a second, then I can't make any sense of sin. If what the Bible says about sin and about us and about the world is not true, then I can't make any sense of what's going on around me. You're still in your sins. In verse 18, the fifth thing, he says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ or those who have died believing in Christ, have perished. You hear the finality of that? By the way, he says, every person who's lived before you and died before you who believed in Christ as his Savior is just gone. I remember one prominent Christian talking about debating a prominent atheist And he said he eventually got down to brass tacks and just asked the guy, well, what do you think happens? He asked the atheist, what do you think happens when we die? He said, I think you just go in the ground and you rot. And what Paul's basically saying in verse 18 is that if Christ has not risen from the dead, then everybody who's gone before us, who we've celebrated having gone on before us and been promoted to new life in Christ, they're just gone in the ground to rot. In verse 19, and verse 19 is in the context of all of those things. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So you and I, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, you and I, our preaching is in vain, our faith is in vain, we're liars, we've misrepresented God, we're still in our sins, everybody who's died that's gone on before us is just dead, rotting in the ground, and we are absolutely pathetic. That's what Paul's saying. R.C. Sproul said the most important word in the Bible is the one that starts, verse 20, the word but. And he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. 
the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Christ all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Amen. So now you have to take, if you're taking one side of the coin, you have to reason to the other side of the coin and think with me about what he's saying when he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, you're misrepresenting God, you're still in your sins, and everybody who's dead has just gone on to rot in the ground. But Christ is risen from the dead, so what's true? Our preaching is not in vain. Preaching the gospel is not in vain. Sharing the gospel is not in vain. You know, you could take all the wisdom of this world, it can't ever save a person's soul. You know, you can give a person a a textbook on philosophy and have them read it and study it and and parse the verbs and, and, and break down the sentences and look at the punctuation and try to get to the history of the the author's intent and all that. And I can tell you that all of that won't do a thing to save your soul. You can give somebody the most true book on mathematics. You know what's cool about math? I don't like to do it anymore because I don't have to, but... But, but what's cool about math is that it's always right. It just is, right? Two plus two equals four. It never equals five. It never equals three. It's just right. And you can give somebody the most true book on mathematics, and they can study it, and they can know it, and they can memorize it, and it can't do a thing to give them new life. But when we preach the gospel, it's not in vain because the preaching of the gospel brings life to dead people. And when we place our faith in Jesus, then we also can say now, if Christ is raised from the dead, our faith is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. You're not wasting your time with Jesus. And we're telling the truth. We're telling the truth. I think a lot of Christians are scared to debate with non-believers because they're not sure what to say. Let me just tell you something. Truth always wins. You don't have to be scared of telling the truth. If Christ is risen from the dead, then we have the truth. This is the truth. And thank God if Christ has been raised from the dead, then we are no longer in our sins. Praise God for that. For the truth that my sins are forgiven, totally washed away. I'm not the same as I once was. I've been changed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I've been changed, His child forever I am. You can't snatch me out of His hands. And then think of all those people. Today you'll gather with your family for Easter. And some of you will think about people who this year have left your family. And they won't be seated at the table with you anymore. There's an empty spot there at the table. There's an empty spot in your heart. Think about the truth that in Christ, those who are in Christ have been promoted to eternal life. That the people missing from the table today who are dead in Christ are more alive than you are. That's the truth. That's why Easter matters. Easter matters for all of these things. The resurrection matters for all of these reasons. But the question I have for you, and I'm going to ask the worship team to make your way back up here. We're going to 
we're going to sing in, in just a moment, and then we're going to be dismissed. But I want to ask you the question this morning. Does Easter matter to you? Because that's the most important question today. Not did Easter matter for Peter or Paul or the apostles or the church at Corinth. Not did Easter matter for, for someone else that you've known. Not does Easter matter for people outside these walls. The question this morning is, does Easter matter for you? And I would guess, I would put my best guess and say that the vast majority of the people in this room today would say, yes, Easter matters for me. To which I would say, then, it should be transforming your life. The fact that Jesus is alive should be transforming your life. This gospel by which we're being saved should be transforming our lives day by day, changing us. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, no, up until this point... Easter really hasn't mattered for me. I came to church today because the person sitting next to me wouldn't talk to me for the rest of the day if I didn't come. Let's be honest. Some of you kids are thinking, I'm here today because my parents would have made my life a living hell if I didn't come to church on Easter. I I want you to think through the question, does it really matter for you? Because if it doesn't matter for you, then you are living in your sins and there is no hope for you. You stand in the path of the righteous and just wrath of a holy God. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, all of us today can place our faith in Him. And the life he lived and the sacrifice he made is credited to your account as your sin is credited to his at the cross. The exchange is made and now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So does Easter matter for you? I want to ask you just to bow your heads with me today. and. I want you to think through these facts. That God is holy. That He's perfect. That He's just. That we're sinners, every one of us. We know it's true. There's not a person in this room who can deny that truth. We all sin. We all sin. We're all fallen people. And each one of us deserves the wrath of a holy God. But God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. That He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Today you can apply all the truth and the power of the resurrection of Christ in your life by just saying, Jesus, I want to be forgiven. I believe. I'm going to follow you today. Respond to the gospel today, this Easter. Be an Easter you'll never forget. Without a doubt today, this Easter, be certain 
that you've responded to the truth that God is holy and we're sinners. And the only way to be reconciled to him is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he lives, he becomes our hope. He becomes the reason we face today and face tomorrow. The reason we're confident about eternity.